Let me pray for us, and we will get started this evening. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Your word uh, is truth to us. It is life. It's a lamp unto our feet. I pray that you would continue to shine your word brightly ahead of us, that we would know the way to walk. Uh, We love you and pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us this evening as we look into your word. And I pray that your spirit would also apply uh, what we're learning into our own lives and hearts. We thank you and we pray for this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Exodus. Do you remember what the word or words on Genesis were? I try to give you one word. Okay, so toledot, yeah. But, okay, so help. Exodus is redemption. Back up one book. Job, what was Job? Unmerited suffering. Oh, yeah. Remember what Genesis was? Yeah. Abraham? Abrahamic covenant? Land seed blessing? No, no. Family tree of faith. Remember? Family tree of faith. Okay? So Exodus is the book of redemption. Live it. Love it. Yeah. Exodus is the book of redemption. Some big themes in Exodus. Historically, this is another link in the chain of explaining how did we get here. Remember, Moses is writing these things to help the children of Israel understand how did they come to the east side of the Jordan when they're about ready to cross over into the promised land. How did we get here? This is the second book in Moses' chain. First, let me tell you about the family tree of faith. Second, second book, let me tell you about redemption. Let me tell you about God getting us out of Egypt. Right? Totally makes sense. So historically, it's another link in the chain from a family. A family went down into Egypt, and a nation comes out. Theologically, Exodus portrays God's sovereign work of redeeming a people for himself through a deliverer. Practically, appropriately walking in the freedom of God's redemption, adoption, and fellowship. That's what God is going to begin to try and teach these people uh, over these 40 chapters. Okay? So he redeems them, he adopts them as his own, and he wants them to walk in fellowship with him. Okay, let's talk about some big chapters so far. I know we're only in the second book. It's third when we're done, but in the chain, only in the second book. Okay, so Genesis 12. What was that about? Abrahamic covenant. Okay, and also 15 and 17 went with that. Big chapters in Genesis. There's a big chapter coming in Exodus. Actually, there's three big chapters. One is going to be chapter 12, one is going to be chapter 20, and one is going to be chapter 40. Because in chapter 40, God's going to come and live with his people. 
So we're building up. He's writing this uh, history, this, this account for the children of Israel, and he wants them to understand how they got here and so what. We'll get to that in chapter 40 of Exodus. So hang on. Big themes. Before we start every book, you may remember this from Genesis, I'll try to give you the, uh, and Job too, I'll try to give you the basics. In other words, every book, every author wrote inside a context. He didn't just write, he wrote with a purpose in mind, and he wrote, there was a particular author, in this case Moses, when? Around 1446 to 1406. How do I know that? 1 Kings 6.1. Remember 1 Kings 6.1? How many years between Solomon's fourth year and the Exodus? 480 years. So you take 966, which was the fourth year of Solomon's reign, and you add 480, and you'll come up with 1446. That's when the Exodus occurred. I don't care what the History Channel or the Science Channel tells you. It's 1446. How long did they wander the desert? 40 years. Subtract 40 years from 1446. What do you get? Woohoo! Okay, this is, this is not higher math. This is just when did Moses write this collection of books sometime between 1446 and 1406? He probably did it. Could have been uh, when they were at Mount Sinai. They camped there for a while. Uh, Deuteronomy tells us it, they were on the plains of Moab right before they went on the Jordan River, uh, across the Jordan River. So it's possible that he wrote it on the plains of Moab. It's interesting. Where did he write that? Why did he write it? To celebrate God's gracious deliverance of his chosen people, Israel, from Egyptian slavery to the freedom of covenant relationship and fellowship with him. Really, three key words. Exodus, why did God write, or, or why did God have Moses write this? To talk about redemption, to talk about adoption, and to talk about fellowship. If this seems a little New Testament, huh, what do you know? Doesn't it say in Hebrews, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Indeed, it does. Uh, we're going to see some great pictures of New Testament truth in the Old Testament. Uh, it's going to blow your mind. But we're not there yet. We've got to set the stage. So tonight is that. Chapters 1 through 4. Moses doesn't um, appear on the scene as the man you and I think of when we think of Moses. That, that took a journey for him to become that person. First, he needed to learn a foundational lesson. And that lesson is that the faithful servant of God has to give God the last word in every situation and then follow him in faith. In this particular case for tonight, that's Moses. Moses is God's called out one and he has to learn to give God the last word and follow him in faith. And if you had a chance to read these four chapters, 
you see what I'm talking about. He didn't come onto the scene as a guy who had learned this lesson yet. He came on the scene as a guy who needed to learn that lesson. So this is our big idea for tonight. God's called out one. Moses must give God the last word and follow him in faith. Uh, let's talk about calling for a second. I think there's a lot of confusion, confusion about calling. Um, I'm not Moses. Uh, nor do I want you to hear part of the story that I'm going to tell you as in any way being the hero of a story. Um, We try to be pretty careful around here and not make ourselves, because it's not true, we we don't want ourselves to be the hero of a story that we tell. You know what I'm talking about? You know, if I tell the story, you go, oh, whoa, who is like unto Bill? Don't do that. You can do that for Moses if you want to, but I'm sure if he were standing here, he'd go, don't do that for me either. Uh, So I'm not the hero of this story, but sometimes, I don't know about you, I can have a little trouble connecting with a Moses. He's just not like me. He's just a different place in faith than I am. But I can connect to a regular person. I can connect to a non-Moses So I am a non-Moses, and let me tell you just a little bit of Laurie's and my calling. Uh, We've had the privilege of serving you, Christ Chapel, for just about 25 years now. Seems like yesterday. But more than 30 years ago, when I was only 12, (laughs) 30 years ago, we had to learn this lesson. God started with us in the same place he's starting with Moses. Hmm, interesting. Remember I've already said, I'm not Moses. But he starts in the same place. Let me tell you, we had to learn this lesson. So let me tell you a little bit, before we talk about Moses' calling, let me tell you just a little bit about ours. And God is the hero of this story, not us. We had to learn to give God the last word. Um, we, we, I am so sharp, uh, it took three years to figure out God's calling. <laughs> yeah, that's how sharp I am. <laughs> First year, um, I'm working at the rocket factory, and I came home one afternoon, or one evening, and I said to Laurie, um, this was, uh, we, I started there in 1986, so this would have been Uh, year five, came home and I said, honey, I think I'm being called into full-time ministry. (laughs) Uh, She didn't really know about that. She actually said, this is kind of a paraphrase, I'll take the cuss words out to preserve her. Uh, She pretty much uh, said, no, he's not. That's a, that's a pretty fair and accurate summary of what she said. No, he's not. I think to myself, oh, I got you. Okay. I thought you wanted a rebuttal. Not today, honey. Not today. We, so we're in our second home in Sacramento, California. 
Stephen is one. He was born in 1990. He's one when I came home with this wonderful announcement. Uh, and Laurie said, basically, no, he's not. And I started thinking, you know, God may be calling, but I'm too old. He doesn't take people like me. Uh, I could look around, just the people I knew, and I could have named five people that he should have called, uh, not me. You know, why in the world would he call an engineer? That makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, call a communications major. Call somebody. Don't call me. So nothing happened. This is what I did, God, the first year. Talk to the hand. Second year, uh, this thing that I can describe to you as a calling uh, would not go away. So I finally decided the smart thing I should do is put the house on the market. Because uh, my plan was we would sell the house, we would make some money, and that would fund our seminary education. Right? Makes sense to me. So we put the house on the market. Problem. House wouldn't sell. Yay, thank you, Lord, you've prevented us from making the worst mistake of our whole entire lives. This is what we're thinking. Laurie says to me, you know, God may, we're operating a lot on this may, God may be calling. Uh, for me, it was he doesn't take, like, he doesn't take people like me. Uh, hers was he may be calling, um, but honey, okay, and this is one of these, grab my face, you know, honey, I am not moving pregnant. If we ever move, I'm not moving pregnant. Gotcha. <laughs> okay? Went and I had started talking to the pastors of our church, and I talked to one executive pastor who uh, went to the Naval Academy and graduated as a nuclear engineer. I mean, whew, we, we were buds, at least from my point of view. And he, I would sit down and talk to him and say, um, listen, you know, I'd tell him my story, and he would look at me and say, Bill, um, I've been called. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. You're not called. Get back to work. <laughs> and so I said, oh, maybe I left out a detail or something, you know, because for some reason you're, you're not telling me I'm called. And so I'd tell him the story again, and he was very kind and patient, and he would say, mm, mm, Bill, mm, mm, amazing story. Uh, I have been called. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. You're not called. Get back to work. Okay. So, in all of these conversations, they decided this was a different denomination. Uh, Bible churches are not a denomination, but uh, you understand what I'm saying. This was not this, this kind of a church. And so they decided what they should do was make me an elder. Because they thought if you can handle what happens in the back room, because it's not all about being up front on Sunday, if you can handle what happens in the back room, maybe, maybe. So I become an elder in the church. I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'm not called. I don't know what this thing is, but I'm going to get back to work. Year number three. Blessings of blessings. We get pregnant with Josiah in January. And lo and behold, the day before Memorial Day in 1993, I started the day after Memorial Day in 1986. For those of you numbers people, that is seven years to the weekend. 
I get laid off. Our house sells within the month, and we are moving. Oh, by the way, Laurie is, by the time we move, we'll be eight months pregnant. Just keep that in mind. This was God's time to go. It wasn't time to go before. This was the time. And so timing and calling kind of come together. Interesting, same thing happened with Moses. Timing and calling come together. Again, I am not Moses. I'm not claiming to be Moses. But it's interesting how God does his thing. So we are now going to move from Sacramento, California to Dallas, Texas, halfway across the country. Uh, Stephen is, by this time, three, almost, and Laurie's eight months pregnant. Hold on to that. We will return to this story before the end of the lesson. <laughs> so our affirmation of God's calling, yes, I was calling you, Bill. Yes, it did take you three years, but this is my time. Here we go. And things just moved really fast, but that affirmation of God's calling matched up with his timing. Now, back to the story in Exodus, it's God's time to deliver. Genesis 15, 13 through 16, remember he said the sin of the Amorites isn't full yet, and so you're going to go down there for a while, but when it's full, then I'm going to bring you back out. And so he does that. 1 Kings 6.1, we've already talked about that. His people are being persecuted. Remember, if you got to read these chapters, this horrible situation is coming to pass. There's a different generation of Israelites. There's a different Pharaoh. There's a different attitude from the Pharaoh to the Israelites, or at least the Hebrews. Pharaoh is persecuting God's people. He's having their midwives murder the newborn males, or at least that's what he's ordered them to do. And when that doesn't work, he has the Egyptians drown the newborn males. Horrible situation is going on in Egypt. Parenthesis. Some significant pharaohs of Exodus. First, Amosa I. He was roughly Jacob's time. He expelled the Hyksos and returned Egypt to Egyptian rule. So that's what Amosa did, and that was about Jacob's time. Thutmose I comes along right after Moses is born, or at least he comes to power then, He's the third pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. He's the probable pharaoh of the genocide. So Thutmose I is probably the guy who's ordering the drowning of these children. Hatshepsut, if you got to go to the Fort Worth, um, what, who had it? it Kimball had it, uh, a um, traveling thing on Hatshepsut. Fabulous. Uh, so interesting. She seems to have been the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty, but she may have co been uh, co-ruled with someone else. She is probably, again, all of these are probably 
Okay, so this is a great principle to teach you. Um, all things are possible, right? All things are possible. But if you took statistics, you know not all things are equally probable. Possible and probable, okay? It's like accuracy and precision. Do you remember accuracy and precision? Accuracy is truth. Precision is repeatability. If I got on the scale every morning and it told me I weighed 13 pounds, every morning that I got on it said I weighed 13 pounds, it would be a very precise scale, but not accurate. Oh, who cares? I don't know. Why did I go down that road? I don't know. <laughs> Possible and probable. Just gets me all excited. So hot Shepsut is probably probably the one who drew Moses from the Nile. Uh, his name, Mose, means born of water or drawn from the water. Next was Thutmose III. He's the sixth pharaoh, but you can see he's got some overlapping time there with Hatshepsut. He's probably the pharaoh of Exodus 2 from whom Moses fled. It's just some, these are just some little details, because every time in Exodus it just says the Pharaoh is dead, and you think it's like this one person who lives hundreds of years. It isn't. It's actually a rotation uh, or a rotating, um, it's a title. It's like the king. So when it says the Pharaoh. So Thutmose III is probably the one from whom Moses fled and probably the one who then died when Moses came back. Amenhotep II, the seventh Pharaoh, uh, probably the Pharaoh of Exodus 3.15. He was divinely persuaded by the ten plagues to let God's people go. So just some, these are some Pharaohs that are running around. If you like to do some reading, you can go read, read about these, these people. Interesting stuff. Uh, and how their timeline overlaps with Exodus. So these are, uh, okay, so those are the Pharaohs. So God's people, they're being persecuted, they are growing desperate, so they're enslaved by a powerful Pharaoh, they're unable to rescue themselves from his power and persecution, they're without hope apart from God, and they're feeling an increasingly desperate need for deliverance. So... God calls Moses as his deliverer. His people are being persecuted. The time has come, and God is going to do something. So he calls Moses to deliver them. Interesting little phrase. Let me see if I can find it. Ah, End of chapter 2, verse 24. Well, let's, let's start in 23. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered what? His covenant... His covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've probably read over that a hundred times, and you go, oh, wait, wait, wait. He did make them promises. I remember. He's coming in to get them. 
He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. So God calls Moses to deliver the people. Moses' preparation is fascinating. I wish we had a lot more than we do. He comes from a godly home. He had a premier education. He had a really bad failure, as when he decided to kill the Egyptian. And then he ran, so he has a wilderness experience. Again, I love Moses because he's not a superman. He's an imperfect person. He's not, you know, a saint with a robe walking around, oh, yes, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to come. No, he's, he's finished killing a guy, and he's run away. And where is he? In Midian, a ways away from Egypt. And what's he doing there? Hiding. Because he knows if Pharaoh can find him, he's dead. So he's hiding. Love it. God calls Moses as his deliverer. He's been prepared. Then God calls him. In chapter 3, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Ooh, right? He's at Sinai. Well, you've read further, so you know that Sinai shows up again. But here's Moses walking around Sinai. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming uh, to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, can you, <laughs> can you imagine being Moses right now? <laughs> You've never heard this voice before. I don't know if it was like Charlton Heston and, you know, that Moses. I don't know what it sounded like. And I don't think Moses said, here I am. <laughs> I think he went, here I am. <laughs> Man. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord talks to him, says um, he's seen their suffering, and uh, he says, the land, uh, I'm going to give you the land, Remember, I promise you land and seed and blessing. I'm going to give you the land. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you. <laughs> oh, that's rich. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Okay, what has Moses done? Why is he at Mount Sinai? Why is he in that neighborhood? Oh, yeah, he killed somebody. <laughs> And he's on the run. But Moses protested to God, uh, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. 
When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And he tells them to go and call uh, all the elders of Israel together and talk to them and uh, let's see. But I know that the king, 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go. And he tells them a little more. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Moses protested again. Third time. (laughs) What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And so then he does the staff and the, and the hand and the robe, and he does a, a miracle. He says, show them those. They'll believe you. Uh, perform this sign, perform this sign. Uh, verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe, you, not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they'll be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or even listen to you after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. Verse 10, we're done protesting. Moses pleaded (laughs) with the Lord four times. You go, whoa, is this the same Moses? That (laughs) This doesn't sound like Charlton Heston. (laughs) This sounds a little bit like Don Knotts. Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. 13. But Moses again pleaded. (laughs) Okay, Moses wants to go. Moses doesn't want to go. The vote? (laughs) Moses does not want to go. Moses pleads again, Lord, please send someone else or send anyone else. Then the Lord becomes angry with Moses. All right, then. What about your brother Aaron? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you both as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. So Moses finally goes home. Whew. God's calling on Moses' life. He has revealed himself to Moses. He's called Moses into his service. He answers Moses' objections, and he gives Moses assurance. And so Moses reluctantly obeys.
few observations. Moses is struggling with God's will. Yes? Yes. God's will pressed Moses to make a choice. How did Moses respond? First, he asked questions about God. Second, he resisted by throwing up obstacles. They won't, but they won't believe me. And excuses, but I'm not gifted. Third, he outright refused. Fourth, he dragged his feet, but reluctantly went. I can imagine God, who also knew the New Testament from the Old Testament, would say to Moses, Moses, are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to walk by sight? I've revealed myself to you. I've given you assurances. I'll be with you. Here we go. Moses, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Moses is walking by sight, not by faith. He needed to learn to give God the last word. Larry and I needed to learn to give God the last word. Year three, May of 93, pregnant with Josiah in January, laid off the Friday Memorial Day weekend in 1993. We didn't move until August. Larry is now eight months pregnant. We arrive in Dallas, Texas in August. It was about 145 degrees. (laughs) I, I had a friend there, a really good friend there. And he said, uh, he said, oh, you're going to Dallas Seminary. Fantastic. You'll learn to be an evangelist. And I said, okay. And he said, because you'll know what hell is like. <laughs> <laughs> you can see I had a lot of good friends in Sacramento. So I start seminary. Um, I have no job and I have one month of money in the bank. You think, well, maybe I have an IRA or something that I can tap into. No. No. I have one month of money in the bank. What else do I have? An eight-month pregnant wife. And no health insurance. And I've just started seminary. And I have no job. This sounds wise, doesn't it? This sounds like, yay! My father drove with me from Sacramento, and he spent those three or four days driving with me saying, are you part of a cult? Have you given them all your money? Are you insane? What's wrong with you? My father, he's just looking at things going, what has happened to you? You, You've become irrational. And I'm like, Dad, I have to do this. And he goes, no, you don't. (laughs) You got an eight-month pregnant wife. You got no job. You got no money in the bank. What? are you going to do? I said, I don't know. God will provide. And he's like, just sounds like crazy talk. It does to me even thinking about it. I have one month of money in the bank. September, Josiah is born. Wonderful month, September. Uh, The Lord had been preparing something, and I'll tell you this uh, another time, I think. 
Or maybe I won't. Uh, it's a great story. Josiah is born uh, at the end of, so my money was for August. I mean, I had enough money for August 1st through August 31st. And I thought, maybe if we scrimp, I could get, you know, like the first or second or third of September. Um, and the Lord provided a job in a church on September 1st. Uh, Josiah was born September 7th. Yes, that's six days. We saw not one bill for any of that. And you think, well, even if I would have had Cobra, which I don't remember having, but maybe I did, you still have, there's still things to pay. Never got any bill. Um, the Lord provided in that church is a fabulous church. We learned so much uh, in our, uh, so again, back to how, how sharp I am. It took me five years to do a four-year program. Yeah. Sorry, you're getting kind of the runt of the litter in this class. <laughs> I'm the guy who's not very sharp. It takes me a long time to do things. So Josiah is born. Uh, I start at, uh, at this church roughly September 1st. Uh, in May of 1998, I graduate from seminary never incurring one dollar of debt. Money would show up. I couldn't pay for seminary. I couldn't even pay for the, the bills that we had. Money showed up. Amazing. I graduate in May of 1998. Guess what I don't have? I don't have a job. That could be a problem. I'm like, I've been around this block before, uh, and the Lord was already at work, and in September of 1998, we came here. Great long story in between there, which I'm not going to bore you with right now, but it is a fantastic story, and God is definitely the hero of that story. But Laurie and I had to learn how to give God the last word. When he says, go there, the right answer is, yes, sir, <laughs> and you start walking. And you say, now what about, <laughs> Bill, I will be with you. Okay. Okay. Moses is learning this same thing. He has to learn the same lesson. He has to give God the last word in all of his conversations, in all of his decisions, he has to give God the last word. And by the time you reach the end of Deuteronomy, he's certainly doing that, even to the point where he's made one mistake, even toward the end. And God says, you're not going in the promised land. And I can, whether Moses was disappointed or not, I don't know. I, he's human. I kind of think he was. But there's no evidence of him being disappointed. He accepts what God says, and that's it. Yes, Lord, you know what's best. He turns into this amazing man because he learns to give God the last word in all of his life. It's amazing what God did with this particular individual. So I ask you, how about you? Are you giving God the last word in every situation, in every decision, in every everything? You say, well, I don't know, I'm not Moses, and I'm definitely not you. 
Remember, I'm not the hero of the story. I'm just like you. I just happen to be up here 18 inches for no good reason. Did you know Christians are God's called out ones today? Ecclesia, which you and I know as church in the Greek, it means the called out ones. You have been called out from the world to serve God. <laughs> you are no different than Laurie or me or Moses. God has called you out in the same way he's called me out. Now, we may be called to different roles. That's okay. But your calling and mine are no different. Uh-oh. Most of you are looking down now. Uh-oh. Where is this going? You are God's called out ones. You have been called by God to serve him. And not all in the same role. But you've been called by God to serve him. Therefore, you need to continue learning the same lesson Moses learned and that Laurie and I had to learn, and that's give God the last word in everything. God has substantially revealed his will for our lives through his word. God expects us, all of us, to give him the last word in every situation today, just as he expected with Moses. Struggling with God's will, like we saw with Moses, like with us, struggling with God's will is okay. But will you walk by sight or will you walk by faith? Like Moses, like me, you might struggle in that calling because our temptation is to walk by sight and not by faith. Now, I'm not saying be silly or be reckless or be dumb, but I'm saying follow God. God's called out ones must give God the last word and follow him in faith. So let me explain a little more about walking by sight or walking by faith. How did Moses respond to God's word? He questioned God about it. He made excuses and threw up obstacles. He refused it, then dragged his feet in following it. How do you respond to God's word? Do you neglect it, ignore it, rationalize it, or justify not doing it? Do you pick and choose what you'll obey? Do you wait until a more convenient time? I call that the win-then syndrome. When, and you lay out the different prerequisites, when, then. We all do it, but the win-then syndrome. My favorite is picking and choosing what I'll obey. 
I might know just a little bit more about the Bible than you. Maybe just a little bit. I don't, I really mean that. Maybe just a little bit. It's scary. Do you know how much Bible you know compared with all the Christians around the world? Let's just say it's a lot. We know a lot, and that makes us responsible for a lot. Or do we give God the last word and follow him? So how do I give God the last word? It's actually very easy to say. You have to move your butt. What? B-U-T. You think I'm being nasty? I'm not being nasty. You just got to move your butt. From I know God has said, but there are problems and issues, to there are problems and issues, but I know God has said. You got to move your butt. You see it? Could be a little bit of double entendre mint in there, and there is, but B-U-T. Move your butt. You have to walk by faith in God, not by sight. Other things that get in our way, past experiences, God couldn't use me because. You fill in the blank. Feelings. Circumstances. Actually, feelings and circumstances are two of the biggest hindrances. It's not like I don't feel like obeying God, but if you'll be honest with yourself, that's why you don't do it, and neither do I, because I don't feel like doing it. I'm really no different than the two-year-old. I'm just a little bit taller. You know, Bill, eat your peas. I don't want to. No, Bill, eat your peas. I really don't want to. Well, you're going to do that, or you're going to go to your room. Mm, I'm going to my room. I really don't want to eat the peas, so I'm not going to. Now we just happen to be older, and we've learned all kinds of sophisticated ways to say, I don't feel like it. And we tell God, I really don't, you know. I tried to tell him, well, when this, then, Lord, I'll do it. You know, or, ah, you know, I don't feel like it now, but try me again in a week. I, I'll see how I feel. And you, I laugh at myself because that's what I do. It's like I'm praying. Lord, let's, let's catch up in a week. Let's have lunch. Let's cover this again. Kind of busy right now. Wow. <laughs> I'm no different in that than Moses. Am I going to walk by faith in God instead of by sight? What am I going to let interfere in that? To walk by faith, not by sight, in daily obedience. Will I walk in daily obedience? Um, Cody's going to cover, or actually Ben Fuqua is going to cover uh, next Sunday, the Great Commission. You could all probably paraphrase the Great Commission, right? Basically, it says, go and make disciples. Are you? If you're not, why aren't you? Why aren't I? Why, why aren't we? Because I don't feel like it. I'm too busy. 
I had a bad experience. I tried it, and it blew up in my face, so I'm not doing that again. This wasn't, the great commandment is not Jesus' great suggestion. It's his great commandment as the great king who says, go, build, go, and make disciples. It's actually a command. You go, ah, I'm doing okay with that one. Okay. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How you doing? No, no hands. (laughs) How you doing? Do you think God was kidding? Do I think God was kidding? Hmm. Well, then why aren't I doing it? Well, because I'm too busy. Because I have higher priorities. Because I did it before and my neighbor yelled at me. I don't know. We could sit here and come up with 50 reasons. Why aren't we doing it? That's just two things. (laughs) Two of those little things. Anybody that I haven't forgiven yet? Because forgiveness is not optional. Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you've been forgiven by God, is there someone you're not forgiving? Just in daily obedience, you go, well, what? I'm in a storm right now. Do I have to obey in a storm? Yeah, because I get it. All you hear is the sound of pounding rain and crashing waves. I get it. I get it. But you've got to obey. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. In a prison, you know, could be prison like this. You're hopefully not in prison. Um, you feel alone and forgotten. Did that help Joseph not to walk by faith? Didn't stop him. So that's in daily obedience. How about in serving God? I told you you were called into ministry. You and I may have different roles, but we're called into ministry just the same. How are you doing with that? How are you doing in serving? God has already been preparing you to serve, just like he did for Moses. Remember the preparations that he had, perfect for what God had called him to do. What preparations has God put into your life? How has he prepared you to minister to people that I will never be able to minister to? I don't know. Some are saying, you're saying this under your breath, but my past, or I'm not gifted enough. Are you walking by sight? Are you walking by faith? Are you giving God the last word or not? Isaiah, or or, sorry, Moses saying, send someone else. And what did Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord. Send me. He doesn't even know what he's signing up for. (laughs) Here I am, Lord. I'm here. (laughs) Send me. Oh, 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 he's the guy sitting in the front row. Me, 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 pick me. Is that you? Is that me? Sitting in the front row, hand raised, Lord, pick me. I don't know what the assignment is, I don't care. If you'll be with me, I will go, whatever it is.
You begin to feel faith. <laughs> That's what faith is looking like. Sight is all the other things that we can throw up in our way. Give God the last word and step forward in faith. So I ask you tonight, where has God called you or invited you to serve him? Maybe it's inside the walls of the church, small group leader, men's, women's ministry. I don't know. Maybe it's outside the walls of the church. There's a lot more opportunities out there than there are in here. How about ones you make up? I don't know. Where has God called you to serve? He's called you. Some of you are absolutely called to the marketplace. I know it. You're called to the marketplace, and you have an influence in your marketplace that I'll never have. And I say, go team. Go team. Some of you have influence in different little clubs or whatever you, you have, your, your uh, hobbies or areas of interest. You have, an, uh, you have a circle of influence there. You have a little mission field. Go get them. Give God the last word and step forward in faith. God's called out ones must give God the last word and follow him in faith. That's what God is teaching Moses right now. That's what God continues to teach Lari and me. And I'll bet that's what he continues to teach you. Where is God calling you to serve him? And say, here am I, Lord. Send me into that. Send me. For next time, read Exodus 5 through 12. Going to be exciting. You're going to like it. Let me pray for us. Father, it's um, amazing to each one of us. It's amazing to me uh, that you would uh, call me into anything. Uh, but what a blessing and what a privilege uh, it's been these, uh, these past two and a half decades. Uh, it, it really, truly has been a privilege. It hasn't been without its problems, that's for sure. But what a privilege. Uh, I thank you for that. I pray that you continue to uh, clarify your call with each of my brothers and sisters sitting out here listening. Clarify that. Uh, there is no little service when it's done for you. And so I pray that you would clarify with them how you're calling them, how you've prepared them, how you'll equip them with your presence, uh, with different gifts that you've given them, but how you have uniquely put each one of these amazing people in places and positions where they can influence others. Uh, would you help us? Uh, sometimes we just seem to lack courage like Moses did. Would you give us a boldness knowing you're with us? Uh, that we don't have to succeed, that's up to you. But help us to be faithful and to walk by faith and not by sight. Would you do that please? And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.